Our scripture today is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will, give, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. And as a pastor, I think one of the most common topics that, that's brought up in conversation, maybe one of the most prevalent issues that I receive email correspondence about, is the issue or the topic of change. Um, I think we've all felt at some point in our time, in, in our lives, like, like we felt stuck. Like there was something deep within us that we wanted to change. Something, honestly, that maybe left us frustrated that we couldn't seem to change. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we pushed, it felt like instead of that thing changing, we just felt like we were spinning our wheels. And change, it can feel a bit mysterious in life. Because, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of things in life I don't know. Like, I don't know why chicken fingers are called chicken fingers um, when they're neither fingers nor are they, if we're honest, made up of chicken most of the time. I don't understand why, you know, a, a circle pizza or a round pizza is put in a square box and then cut into triangle slices. Like, I don't, there are certain things in life I don't understand. And yet, uh, maybe one of the most elusive mysteries to so many of us, if we're honest, is, is how, how you and I change. Change. And, and we feel this, don't we, in so many aspects of our lives. There, there are relationships around us that change, that we don't want to change. And yet simultaneously there are these destructive patterns in our lives that we want to change but can't seem to change. Change, it just feels so mysterious. And so this morning we're going to talk about change. And we're actually going to uncover, I think, one of the greatest secrets to change. And so if you're here this morning and you've been wrestling with change, if you're desperate for change, if you're longing to learn more about change, you're just aching for more and you're willing to hear what God has to say, this morning, we're going to hear one of the greatest secrets to change in your life and mine. Over the past couple weeks, if you're new, we've been walking through um, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he was called to be a prophet some 2,500 years ago, and he was called to this larger-than-life task to speak God's word to God's people and then simultaneously to the surrounding nations, the surrounding kingdoms throughout the world. And this, this kind of task was way too big for any one individual. And what we've seen over and over again is that you may not be called to that specific kind of role. But many of us, each of us, actually have that kind of experience when we come to know God. Because whenever he calls us to himself, he calls us to a life, a task that is way too big for us. A life that really demands change at every level. And for us to live the life that God is calling us to live, we have to let him change everything. So how do we change? 
How do we tackle this mysterious and elusive thing called change? Well, let's take a look together. If you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. It's found on page number 660 if you are using one of our community Bibles. And while you're doing that, I want to talk about Jeremiah. He's this interesting character. He's had anything but an easy life, and as far back as he can remember is... We see it here in the pages of Scripture. He's been called. He's had this burning in his stomach and his bones to proclaim this message that chafes against the broader culture. He watches as Israel just mistreats their God. I mean, this is the God who fought for them, the God who brought them out of Egypt, the God who made them a nation, and then he made this covenant, this unique partnership with Israel in a way that he made a partnership with no other nation the world over. And all they had to do was stay faithful to this partnership, to uphold their end of the bargain, and then God would uphold his end of the bargain and bless them and be faithful to them. But what we've seen over the past couple of weeks is that Israel time and again made promises that were too big for them. It seems like they couldn't keep the promises they made. They, they promised that they would be gods alone, that their hearts would belong to him alone, that they wouldn't chase after other gods. But over the generations, Israel first grew indifferent to God, then they ignored God, finally abandoned, and then even mocked God. And so God describes himself throughout the pages of Jeremiah as like a scorned and broken husband who calls an intervention. And this is where Jeremiah's calling comes in. He comes to speak a word about this relationship between God and his people that this isn't a healthy relationship. This isn't the way it's meant to be. And so he speaks discontent to the people of God and words of judgment that are to come if they continue to relate to their God in this way. And he calls out to them to repent, to change. And we read here in Jeremiah 25, verse 3. It's a little bit earlier in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, For 23 years, 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. And this goes on and on and on. And no matter what Jeremiah says, Israel doesn't change. It's almost like they can't change. And calling Israel to change and seeing no tangible results over decades, not years, decades, like that wears on a man. So you can only imagine seeing Jeremiah at this point in his life. I mean, he's got white hair, maybe underneath his skin he's nothing but gristle, worn out. His eyes are huge, haunted by the things he's seen up to this point in Israel's history. And so it makes sense that when you get to the end of Jeremiah's life, which is where our passage finds him, the last section of Israel, the tribe of Judah and its pinnacle city, Jerusalem, with the temple at the center, is in shambles. And Jeremiah wasn't that much to look at either. And at the end of his life, while many were taken into Babylon, into exile, there were the poor that were left there in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah chooses to stay there with the poor, the broken, to minister to them. And what's the outcome? They say, we'll obey whatever you say. Whatever the Lord says through you, Jeremiah, we'll obey. And he says, well, God's calling you to stay here. And they say, well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and they go to Egypt and they forced Jeremiah to disobey God and to go back to Egypt with them. 
Going back to Egypt, the place where God brought them out in the beginning, where he brought them out and made them a people. It's back to square one and surrounded by hopelessness that these people will never change. This is where we hear our passage. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 here, beginning there. Behold, the days are coming, says God. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, or those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Can you imagine when Jeremiah hears these words? Like with a lifetime of seeing no change, Jeremiah and Baruch hear that God are going to do something new. Jeremiah, he he goes up to to Baruch, his scribe, and he's like, God has told me something new. Grab a scroll, Baruch, and write this down. God's going to strike up a new partnership, a new covenant. And it's going to change everything. Finally, God will have his people and his people will have him. And what's so revolutionary about this partnership? Okay, so this is called a new covenant, a new kind of a partnership. What's so new? What's different? What's revolutionary about this covenant over against the old covenant? The key is right here in the middle of verse 33. This is what God declares. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. See, the old agreement, the old partnership, the old covenant with Israel, Israel's job was to give their allegiance solely to God and to obey his commands. And then God's job was then to bless Israel. Israel was to choose to obey and then God was to choose to bless. But that clearly wasn't going very well. um, And it was time for something new. And this new covenant, this new partnership, it isn't new in that... There's no longer demand on us as human beings. The problem wasn't that somehow God demanded too much of us. Instead, the newness of this covenant isn't in its demands, but in its efficacy, its effectiveness. You see, in this new covenant, God will do something within people that will actually make them inherent or give them the inherent capacity to obey God and to enjoy Him. Do you see this? This This is groundbreaking. This is the only place in all of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, where the new covenant is explicitly named the new covenant. God is promising to do something in our hearts. So this is kind of the context of where we find ourselves. This is, this is, this is truly revolutionary in the history of Israel. And according to God, if they're going to change, the battle for change is won or lost in the terrain of the human heart. And it's not just in our passage this morning, okay? Actually, if you look throughout the Hebrew Scriptures or you look throughout Jeremiah, over its 52 chapters, the Hebrew word for heart is used 57 times. Heart is all over the place. And for God, when it comes to change, this is what we have to understand from the beginning. Your heart has to change for you to change. Your heart has to change for you to change. But that kind of begs the question, what on earth is the heart? Because in the Western world, we often think the heart is what? The seat of emotions. 
I always think of uh, Ron Burgundy trapped in the glass cage of emotion. Like that's often what we think our hearts are, is just this place where our emotions sit. But for the Hebrew person and what God is seeking to communicate here, it's much more robust. The heart is the control center for the whole human person. If you go, for example, and look in Proverbs chapter 3, the heart is the place, the mechanism of trust. It's where trust is cultivated and cared for. If you go to Genesis chapter 6, we see that the heart faces certain things. It either moves its life or points its life toward God and good or toward evil. And then Jesus himself says what? Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. The brightest people throughout history have noticed how the heart is at the center of what it means to be human, how that is the control center to where our lives are headed, such that what the heart wants, this is so important, what the heart wants, the mind easily finds justifiable and the will finds easily doable. What you really want, it's so easy to come with post hoc justification and then so easy to figure out ways to make it possible. Your heart is at the center of who you are, and your heart has to change for you to change. But there's a pretty significant problem, um, and this is what we've seen throughout Jeremiah so far. The problem is that you're powerless to change your own heart. You and I are powerless to change our own hearts. I mean, this is the frustration we talked about at the very beginning. This is what causes sleepless nights. This is what causes us to bang our heads against the wall. This is what makes us feel helpless and even hopeless at times. You and I are powerless to change our own hearts. I heard the story of a professor who gave out a case study in his class. He was a psychology professor about a guy who was angry at his mother, but how this really set out the pathway for self-discovery. And how it was even beneficial to process it. And then one student raised her hand and she said, that's all well and good and that's important. But how do, we, how do we change this man's heart towards his mother? How do we help him forgive his mom? To which the professor responded, if you're looking for a changed heart, you're looking in the wrong department. We can observe quite a bit. We can learn from one another. But the ability of life change, of heart change... That's not within your and my power. We know all too well that we're powerless here, that we want what we want, and oftentimes we're, in it, we're unable to decipher what it is that, is that, that what we want, whether it's good or evil. Jeremiah says it this way. When you go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1, when he's speaking to, to Judah, he says, the sin of Judah, so these destructive desires that have led to destructive actions, that have led to destructive cities, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a diamond or a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. See how much this is intersecting with Jeremiah 31? And then he goes more broadly to describe the heart this broken mechanism that's at the center that guides the trajectory of your life and mine. And he says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Doesn't that sound a bit damning? <laughs> if you know that your heart has to change for you to change, but you feel powerless and you know you're powerless and God's word says you're powerless to change your own heart, this can be a quite a, a dangerous predicament. It can feel hopeless. It can feel like your wheels are spinning. And this is why this new covenant, this new partnership is such amazing news. 
This is why this is revolutionary in what God is doing throughout the world and really throughout every other religion still in the world. Your heart has to change for you to change. You're powerless to change your own heart. But what we find this morning, the mystery to change, what is so groundbreaking, and I hope you don't leave this morning ever, ever forgetting this one point, is that God will change your heart if you ask him. That is the greatest secret to change. God will change your heart if you ask him. God's like this brilliant surgeon who's able to diagnose where your heart is malfunctioning or where there is disease and then is able to do precise surgery in order to make your heart whole. That's who God is. Don't we see him with his scalpels in verse 31 inscribing the law on our hearts? And we know God's motivation for all of this because we remember from Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness. This is who God is in his character, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, God wants you and I to want the right things, things that are actually right for us. He wants us to want and love the right things, to trust in things that are actually trustworthy, to chase after good things, to end our lives with rest. And God will change your heart if you ask him. That's the kind of God he is. How? Well, the same way actually most surgeons do, believe it or not. Um, first, you have to let God scrutinize your heart. You can't walk into his office and say, listen, listen. I know you've got some degrees. I know you've done a lot of x-rays, but you have no idea what's going on inside my heart. Who are you to say what a healthy heart looks like? I think I'm fine. No, 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 no. You have to let God scrutinize your heart and say that it is deeply broken and flawed. Then you have to let God put you under the knife. Like, this is painful. This is heart surgery is not easy. It's not take two pills on Sunday, and I'll see you in a month if you st still feel some pain. Like, no, that is not the way it works. Instead, it's tearing. It's cutting open. It's breaking bones, and then it's re-sewing. He'll rummage around in our deepest desires and our deepest pains. And sometimes it'll hurt. It will hurt even sometimes like hell, but it is a part of the process of healing that God has for you and I. And then you have to let God pay for the cure. You have to let him pay for the cure. Payment plans aren't an option with God. It's not that he's done this work and now you can pay him back little by little. That's not the way this works. We're bankrupt when it comes to this area, and our hearts are deeply broken. We have nothing to offer, and that can feel really vulnerable. That can feel really humiliating, but that's the, that's the description of where you and I find ourselves in the midst of this. You see, the wages of sin, these destructive desires, and the brokenness of our decisions against God and against others, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But that gift wasn't free. Instead, God had to pay for that gift. And this new partnership, this new covenant that we hear about was orchestrated way before this moment it was communicated. It was orchestrated before the foundation of the world. It was always to be purchased, enacted, and fulfilled by none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He'd come and pay our debt with his death on, a, on the cross. He would be broken for our broken hearts. And now we're offered forgiveness and healing free of charge if we just ask. 
Jesus talks of this and echoes this is true. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, when he's actually instituting the Lord's Supper, he says this cup that is poured out for you is what? The new covenant in my blood. He's pointing back to Jeremiah 31. He's emphasizing what God has always planned, that he would be the sacrifice, the payment, to now enact this new partnership for humanity. Jesus, fully God, fully man, fully Jewish, the Messiah would usher in a new covenant, a new partnership with Israel first and then with the world, sending out 12 Jewish apostles who walked with Jesus in his life, who saw his crucifixion and then experienced his bodily resurrection three days later and then carried forth this good news of a new covenant that still demands all of life but now comes with an efficacy to live the life we were designed to live. And it's all centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ and offered to the world, such that now if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, even, even from the, your own destructive desires and your broken heart. You see, for all whom God has done surgery... God has given us the Holy Spirit to now dwell within us who continues to refine, continue to guide and empower our heart to life and life abundant. Isn't this amazing? Like if your heart has to change for you to change and you're powerless to bring about that change on your own and God went through all of this trouble, actually it was orchestrated before the foundation of time. Don't you have to wonder why? Like, think about this, the one who created the universe, who gave you an eye breath, who was so persistent with Israel, who sent prophet after prophet, who then sent his own son, Jesus, and then his son, Jesus, came to die. Why do all of that? Because, and this is so important, and it's right here in the center of our passage, because God wants you. He wants you. He loves you. He cares for you. Look again at the outcome of this transformed heart here in Jeremiah 31, 33. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's making a new family and he wants all of creation, all of his people to be a part of it. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, no matter who you've hurt, God is ready and willing to forgive. And through Jesus, he's made that path such that as we read at the end of verse 34, he can say over you and I, I will remember your sins no more. And he's given the spirit to those who are his such that actually sin becomes less and less enticing. He's actually forming us here and now. Perfection waits until Christ returns, but he is forming us here and now. This is the beauty of the new covenant. He's writing the law on our hearts such that we love and begin to enjoy where what was obligated and what ought to happen slowly becomes what we want to happen and desire to happen. He's forming us into a new kind of person. He's changing you and I. But not only does he want you, and I think this is so fascinating, when I think about, once again, the author of life, not only does he want you, but he wants you to know him. 
Don't we see that here in our passage? And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. No longer will there be a small subset of people who are encouraging the rest of the population to be remembering God and to know him. But God's desire is that all would know him. That all would come to know him. And why is knowing him so important? Because in knowing him, we know what real life is like. We know what real love is about. And we begin to understand even the fruit of that kind of life. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And don't we want our lives to change more in that trajectory? Isn't that what we want? That's the power of the Spirit of Christ at work within you. When you embrace the new partnership, the new covenant anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your heart has to change for you to change. You can't be waiting for all these other circumstances. Your heart has to change for you to change. And you're powerless to make that change on your own. But by God's grace and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God will change your heart if you ask him. And so I want to ask this morning, knowing all of this foundation... And I know it can feel a bit taxing to kind of walk through the history and the various theological elements. But knowing all of that, I want to ask you this morning, no matter where you are, whether you're a parent or a child, whether you've been coming here, you know, for years or this is your first time, I want to ask, will you let God change your heart today? Now, maybe you're here and you're on the fence. Um, Maybe it's like, kind of like you're waiting, you're in the waiting room looking through the brochures on surgery. You know, you're weighing and you're, all the pros and cons and the risks that come with it. Because it's not going to be easy and it's definitely going to be painful. But it's so much better than walking around with a decaying heart. So if that's to you this morning, will you let God change your heart today? Why walk out of the doctor's office knowing that your heart is in shambles? And it all starts, and for some of you this is very familiar, but for others this is very fresh. It all starts with a simple prayer. And prayer, all prayer is, is conversation with God. It's a conversation where if you're here and you want God to change your heart, then you start the conversation like this. You admit that your heart is broken, that it is deceitful and wicked and desperate need of repair. And then you admit that you're powerless to make that change on your own. And then you embrace that Jesus Christ has paid the price for your cure and has made a way for you to be whole and has provided forgiveness for all your brokenness, that he was broken for your brokenness. And then you give him your heart and your life, all of it. It's that simple. That is the pathway of change, the beginning of healing. And if you want to talk to a pastor about this, if this feels like a big decision because it is, and you want to talk through and process more, I know Tyler and I would be more than happy to process that with you, to pray with you, because listen, God wants to change your heart because he longs to give you a life that you, that you were designed to live, the life you long to live, if you'll let him today. And then I think, I do think there, for the rest of, of us that are in here, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while or God's been working on your heart for a while, You've embraced Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and the indwelling Spirit. He's continuing to refine you. But I want to ask you this morning, because listen, yes, there is a specific moment in time where we begin to turn 
And we let God begin to do surgery on our heart, but it never ends until he returns. Is there a part of your heart you need to surrender afresh? Will you let God continue to change your heart? I know that's a simple question. But you and I both know there's something in every one of our lives where we just need to afresh surrender that to him and say, God, do your surgery there. Help me. Because you know what happens when we do? When, when, when we actually let God continue to change our hearts, he begins and continues down the path of replacing death with life, replacing shame with confidence, hate with love, slavery with freedom. The Apostle Paul litters the pages of the epistle to the Romans with this truth. And he replaces guilt with gratitude. You see, God through the gospel is in the business of change. This isn't just something to get a certificate and then to continue to wrestle through frustrations and bide time until Christ returns. Sometimes change is overnight. Sometimes it is over a lifetime. It's not as simple as being able to detail out the specifics. But one thing is true, no obstacle, no pain, no struggle, no heartache, no grudge will ever be able to stand in the end when we let God change our hearts. And that gives us an unsinkable hope, doesn't it? There are so many in our world that say change is impossible. You are who you are, period. But that's not the story of the gospel. And this week, as we head into kind of Thanksgiving and we travel to see family or we don't travel to see family and we're with friends and new family, or we remember pains of past family, when you wake up tomorrow morning, when you, drive into the off, when you drive into the office or you sit at work on Monday or you're sitting with family and friends on Thanksgiving, may you know this hope. God has made a way for us to change. Wherever you're at, it is not the final note on your life. It doesn't have to be. God has made a way for us to change. If we'll just let him change our hearts. You see, change isn't a mystery. It's a mystery that's been revealed in Jesus. For your heart has to change for you to change. It's impossible for you to change your own heart. So stop trying and let God do what only he can do by the power of his spirit, through the efficacy of his gospel and this new covenant that he's promised to you and I. Let's pray. God, I know many of us in here, myself included, so often run back to this old bargain in the back of our minds, whether it's something we heard in culture or just our natural disposition where we think if we just can work hard enough on our hearts in isolation of you, then we can see the change that we want to see and bring about the change that we want to bring about. But the reality is that without you, that's impossible. Our imaginations are not robust enough. Our desires are not pure enough. Instead, God, we need you to do this work. You are the professional. You are the all-knowing and all-wise God who's all-powerful to change even the darkest and broken 
of hearts. So God, this morning, by the power of your spirit, may you convict us. And may we, oh, may we surrender our hearts afresh and know the life of change that only your spirit can bring. God, we need you. May we receive and yield to the helper you've sent and have the humility and strength to receive the help he offers. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.